0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. I'm your host, Mike Brancatelli. Hello and welcome. Hope you're all doing well out there. And, uh, you know, I realize I, I do. I say that in the beginning of every show. I say the name of the show and myself, but you guys already know that, right? You're not tuning in. Like, if I didn't say that, you wouldn't be like, what the hell is going on here? Who is this person? I don't know what life is anymore. Uh, <laughs> what is real? Everything's fake. Um Well, I guess that's for the new listeners. So hello, new listeners, and welcome. See, I'm a professional. I introduce myself. I introduce the show. Um, Got a lot of great episodes uh, out there. So if you want to go into the back catalog and listen to some stuff, this podcast has many different kinds of episodes. Some are storytelling. Some are just kind of me ranting. Some are with guests that are more interview style. Some are more kind of conversational. And then there's the uh, collaboration episodes that I do with Ed Liu of Psychedelic Milk, where it's a a three-way conversation, me, Ed, and a guest, and we try and release one of those each month. This month we have James W. Gesso, Canadian author, speaker, podcaster, writer, all-around awesome psychedelic communicator, uh, and good guy. And you can learn more about James and, and his work and, and all that in the show notes. I put links to everything, his books, his website, his Patreon, his um, uh, podcast. Uh, so all the links that you'll need to find James are out there. Um, yeah, so I I, I bought this, um, what is it called, a pop filter that I put in front of the microphone. Uh, it's supposed to uh, make, I guess, it's supposed to take out like the, sounds that you hear sometimes on podcasts. But I realized that I don't I don't really do that. I kind of have more of a kind of kind of thing going on there. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it sounds pretty good. I haven't really gotten too many complaints except for one person who thought the intro music was too loud, which I fixed. I lowered the intro music, so you're welcome. I listen, see? Uh but anyway, yeah, let me know what you think of the sound and everything, because I want to make sure that it is top-notch. That's one of the most important things about podcasting. I am in your ear holes, and you want to make sure that what's coming through is sounding nice and smooth and silky and f- informational, fatty and nutrient and what, whatnot. Uh, yeah, but I noticed that there was s- 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 kind of like that you know, so, uh, it might have something to do with the fact that I wear invisible braces and sometimes it gives me a little, sometimes it give me like a little lift, like a, that kind of thing. Um, but I'm getting them off soon. Actually, it was a great deal. If anybody's looking to straighten their teeth out there, this is not a sponsor or anything, but it's a smile direct club. I think I, I, I found them on Instagram and I had this, you know, cr- these little crooked teeth on the bottom and. One on the top, I wanted to get fixed. I think it was like twelve hundred dollars for the whole thing, uh, which is significantly cheaper than Invisalign. So if you're looking to do something like that, check out Smile Direct Club. And if Smile Direct Club people are listening, hey, I'm giving you guys free promotion here. So let's talk. Um anyway, this is a great episode, and uh we'll get into it. And I'm not gonna take up too much time with with the intro. I know sometimes I I go way longer than I planned. Like I never, every time I set out to do a podcast, I always say, all right, I'm going to do an intro and I'm going to talk about this, this, and that, and then we're going to get into the podcast. And I'm like, okay, yeah, probably 10 minutes or so. And then I look at the time and it's 17 minutes have gone past. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you verbose motherfucker. Can't you just shut up for for one minute? (laughs) So uh, yeah, sorry about that. But if you're enjoying them, then not sorry about that. Um, but anyway yeah i uh, i I have I guess a couple of things um that are going on um, and i and I kind of forgot about what they what they were, so maybe maybe I won't even talk about them because this is a a long enough podcast uh anyway, it's like you know almost two hours so without further ado we'll just get into the podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, once again, this is the collaboration podcast to do with Ed Liu of Psychedelic Milk. Um, you can find all this stuff at psychedelicmilk.com. And our guest is James W. Gesso. And I put all of his links in the show notes. And you can find him at gesso.com Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. Uh, thank you for all the Patreon members. Um, and if you want to support the show, you can go on iTunes, leave a nice rating and review. I think we have 63 five-star rating ratings and reviews right now. That's just huge. So thank you so much for that. And if you want to support the show on Patreon, you can go to uh, Mike Brank. or I'm sorry, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. Okay, thank you very much, and without further ado, here's uh, the conversation I had with Ed Liu of Psychedelic Milk and James W. Gesso, host of the podcast Adventures Through the Mind. Peace.
1: Psychedelics are illegal
2: not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures. And culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us
0: the possibility that everything knows is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject
1: authority.
2: Authority is a lie. Voice of perception. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity the opportunity. The opportunity.
0: Have James W. Gesso, and um, you know, he hosts a podcast called Adventures Through the Mind. Uh, You're the author of of several books uh, Decomposing the Shadow, uh, The True Light of Darkness, which is an awesome (laughs) title there, True Light of Darkness, Uh, Soundscapes and Psychedelics. And you're also a speaker, and um, uh, I I assume. what else? A traveler of sorts, right? Uh, I've, I've, I've heard some of uh, your appearances on other shows where you talked about some of your travels. So yeah, excited to, to talk to you, man. Um, so I guess the first thing that uh, I, I would ask is that what what, uh, what brought you to uh, to be on this path?
2: Uh, you know, I've, I've been reflecting on that a lot over the last couple of days, actually, as I'm in the process of kind of like updating and regenerating my whole Patreon situation, which might be another podcast shop talk later Yeah, but um, the, I guess like the earliest sort of push was back in 2009, I believe or maybe it was the end of 2008 I had my first hit of LSD in Australia, which just gave me this incredible experience of being able to remove myself from the default narrative of lack and suffering and challenge because i was really unhappy i had just gotten over a big sickness i was feeling depressed i hated my life i wanted to go home all this stuff and it showed me that i could i could basically become the author the authority of my own experience and i could do and be anything i wanted and that those ideas are real and they're true but also at the time it was it was naive thinking and so i was like i'll be anyone i want but actually what i was becoming was um, an expression of my environment and my environment socially at the time was one of a lot of drug use like a lot of it. it i had some 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 of those moments were extremely fun but over the time they got progressively more um degenerative until I became extremely um I developed a highly problematic substance use. Um, Yeah, highly problematic substance use behaviors. And that led me on a path that eventually brought me to deciding that I could use psilocybin mushrooms. I don't want to go too deep in the story because I've told it a million times, it's all over the place. But it brought me to a place where I decided to use mushrooms to sort of heal the damage that I had done to my psyche which over the course of 13 months taking him once a month under the full moon at first with sitters and then afterwards by myself uh had completely revamped my entire life and my whole sense of self and uh, in doing so i became impassioned, somewhat evangelical about like the truth and the, and the and the beauty and the healing of the mushroom and so i started on this path of sharing what i learned and that was the start of the ball rolling and then throughout the course of my time as I've uncovered new things about psychedelics I've uncovered new things about myself because of new experiences either positive we'll say um, either enjoyable or extremely unenjoyable Uh, I've just continued to sew it in to sew it into the ball rolling until I eventually am here now whatever that means
0: so what, yeah, what, what was it? Cause I, I can relate to that kind of, uh, story as well. And I think there's a similar thread through a lot of people that kind of wind up in our position where we're talking about this stuff, we're publishing things about this. So, you know, it's interesting because there's a lot of people that try psychedelics. There's a lot of people that, you know, go through the, and have profound experiences yet they don't feel necessarily compelled to share and to kind of, like you said, evangelize, um, what was it that kind of made you take that step to say like, you know what, this needs to be who I am. I need to share my experience. Um, Did it come from a kind of a a sense of, well, you know, I've healed myself. Now I want to share that with others because of the kind of empathy and compassion for the world or, or, you know, kind of walk me through what what that was like, that decision to kind of, you know, go for
2: it. Well, part of, what I had been learning in my mushroom experiences was this ability to set my own path in the world rather than what I, I don't I don't know about Ed in, in Hong Kong. But uh, here in Canada, and I imagine very similar in the United States where where you are, is um there's this perception, this story that's put into a child's mind that's like, Uh, the life that you need to live is according to these particular structures on these paths. You know, like after high school, you go to college or university so you can get into a job. And then once you're into that job, which is a field that is already set up for you, you need to get on the train. Uh, Then eventually that train, if you stay on it, will carry you to a good life where you can then retire and enjoy whatever you want to do in 50 years. So... I had become, I had come to a point where I realized that I could actually just do anything I wanted, (laughs) you know, like this is my life here now, exactly how I'm choosing to live it. I don't have to align to a specific social narrative in order to, uh, in, in order to make my life good ultimately. So in exploring that, I asked, I was asking myself, what do I want to do? And what I wanted to do was be a writer, and so well, what do I have to write about? I have these mushroom things to write about. Okay, great. So now I've got the mushrooms have given me freedom from at that time some very debilitating mental illness. They've also given me a sense of connection with uh, with my. Well, to say, desire and capacity to um, live my heart's path for lack of better terminology, and part of my heart's path is to write, and now it's all coming together, so I'll just write about mushrooms. This this is great, and uh, I began writing Decomposing the Shadow. I had been doing a bunch of other writing, too, some really, like, um, stuff about consciousness and uh, reality, and had actually started handing out little zines at parties that would take 15 seconds to read but were designed to like kind of confuse and bewilder in this beautiful way and I'd hand them out like I was some magical elf creature you know Uh, (laughs) because of course delivery is important Uh, and so I'm writing about um, the mushrooms hoping that I can offer through the book Uh, the conceptual platform or the conceptual model that enabled me to get so much benefit out of it so that that could be offered to others. Other people could get that benefit too. And I'm sweeping up the... And I'm also struggling, like hardcore struggling, like, God damn, this book is so difficult to write and I can't get my ideas together. And I'd sit down with friends and I could just lay it out. Boom. Like, here it is. Here's all the ideas. And then I'd sit down to write and I couldn't structure them. And so I'm working in this cafe. I'm like sweeping up and uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, like maybe I should maybe I should do speaking shit. Terrence McKenna did it. I could do it. Right. Uh, it's, it's possible. So I have this example that it's possible, despite the fact that Terrence McKenna might have been um I mean, it seems pretty obviously that he was quite unhinged, but he, he lived he lived a successful speaker's life in the psychedelic culture. Mm-hmm. But then I'm hesitant still, I'm so like, I don't know if I could do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I look over to this magazine rack, and on the magazine, on the covers, this, this woman that I know in the community where I was living, which was in Calgary, and she spits fire, basically. And she's on the cover holding fire, And the tagline is Calgarians getting paid to do what they love. And in that moment, I decided I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be a public speaker. I'm going to share this because friends had told me this is the big thing. I had a community around me that encouraged me. They said, James, we like your ideas. James, you're good at speaking about this. James, thank you for everything that you've offered. You know, James, you should write, blah, blah, blah. And so I decide I'm going to do this, and I walked to the back of the cafe, and my best friend is talking with this other man I'd never met before, and within 10 minutes of speaking with him, I was offered my first speaking opportunity at a conscious events gathering. And that sort of I guess it's like a uh, serendipity, mm-hmm. because there was five people in that workshop, which was all about Reiki and like healing the energies of the planet and stuff, which, at the time, I felt very genuinely about and there's still value in i I believe now but i was also very woo woo and very new agey at that time there's five people in this workshop two of them happen to be these guys who are running this new community in the city they like what i have to offer they asked me to come give it at their next event which just happens to be a showcase for everyone in the city that's doing alternative stuff green building alternative technology permaculture yoga healing centers all these people and i end up giving this talk in front of 40 community leaders in calgary which basically launches my career i get involved with this organization and we start building events building events and building events and that's kind of like started me on the path it was like yeah i'm gonna do it and then like paulo coelho says in the alchemist it's like the whole universe conspired in my favor and i've just i've just trusted i've just trusted in it from there.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's amazing when, when you talk about, you know, it's this like decision where you're like, I don't know, can I do this? Should I do this? And then the second that you decide to embrace and own it, all of a sudden just doors start opening up you know, like you said, synchronicity starts happening and, uh, you know, people keep, you know, coming together as, as Joseph Campbell says, you know, doors doors appear where there were only walls before, you know? So I think Mm. that, you know, a lot of people may be listening to this Think, "I, I know everybody goes through this, right? It's like, I don't know. Can I do this? Should I do this? I don't know if I'm good enough. Maybe I, you know, I don't know. There's that hesitation, right? And then as soon as you kind of embrace it and accept and own it, then it's like magic happens, Right
2: hmm i mean uh, some degrees other times i feel like i'm owning it and and all that's happening is like um poison rain or acid rain just like coming down <laughs> melting away my hopes and dreams and i'm just like <laughs> struggling to hold on to the staff as like, uh, it, the, the acid rain comes up and up and it's just eating away my heart and i just have to like hope and trust that everything's going to be okay if i just follow through and hold through and sometimes it works out and other times i have to disengage from goals certain goal sets and you know recalibrate what's working and what isn't but what you said just reminded me I was having a chat with a friend of mine um who he produces music as uh Kallia and Merkaba and we're talking about agents and whatever else and you made this comment that I really liked which is like um when you're when you are fully embodying and in alignment with your dharma things will happen for you
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there, you know definitely challenges along the way, but like you know, like you said, that acid rainstorm, you just have to hold on, get through. Yeah. Um, you meant really cool man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, well, I was I'm just sorry, gonna, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say you you <laughs> you uh <laughs> you you talked about you know um. Uh, the shadow. Now that's a very uh, Jungian kind of, uh, you know, concept, the the, the shadow. Um, was that something that you were aware of before you had the experiences with mushrooms? Or was, or like, were you interested in learning about that kind of stuff and writing, reading and writing a, a, at a younger age? Or is that something that you just kind of d- f- discovered around that time?
2: Uh, I was, so there's, well, wow, there's so many ways I can go about answering that. Uh, I had been interested in reading and writing since I was an early child. Actually, since I was an infant, my father would read to me in in like in my crib until like every night, basically, until I got to a certain age, which I'm sure was very heartbreaking for him, but also necessary. Yeah. I was like, Dad, I don't think I want to have nightly readings anymore, you know um but a lot of the content was religious because he was a Jehovah's Witness. And so um, thinking about those types of ideas was in my mind. And so when I got to a certain age where I started to realize that, um, well, most of that is actually just total bullshit, <laughs> you know, I, I I ended up like then applying those same interests into different areas. Like I got into, um, uh, a lot of it I had gotten into was stuff about dreaming, and then stuff about the mind. And then when I was 21, I started reading Jiddu Krishnamurti, uh, and then when I was 23, I started reading Baba Ramdas. And so um, my my interest in thinking about those ideas and writing about those ideas was there. Also, one of the things that got me into eating drugs in the first place when I was in Australia was how interesting the experiences were. I was like, this is just so cool yeah <laughs> you know so uh but then as for speaking about the shadow did i have that knowledge before well i was participating in a community of people who were all having this idea i don't know if you guys have had heard of the evolver community oh yeah i don't know where it's at now but that's in isn't in that uh
0: daniel pinchbeck's uh site i think
2: i think it was his brainchild i don't know if it's still his thing i kind of stopped following it for a little while there but yeah um, i've heard of it yeah yeah, and in and in 2011, 2012, the whole Evolver thing was huge. You know, with the whole like mm-hmm. 2012 grand shift and stuff coming up. So I was in communication with uh, a lot of people who were exploring these ideas. And so when I was writing Decomposing the Shadow, I was not only talking about my own ideas, but in order for me to communicate these, um, I'd say transrational experiences that are very emotionally driven I have to find some sort of language and so I was very um, precocious I just consumed so much different material trying to figure out like what was going on what was how what was happening and what it will help me to better understand it in a way that will enable it to be more effective the next time and in that I discovered lots of ideas and Archetypal psychology was one of those things. Stan Groff was a big contributor to um, how I felt about my work. And the idea of the shadow was already there for me. And then I then I started learning about the original concept of it. And I was like, boom, this is it. Like, there it is. Somebody's already written all about it. I just have to like talk about where it fits in my ideas. And then I utilized that that premise. But I also made it very clear. In the book, that I wasn't speaking about the Jungian shadow necessarily, or or those types of archetypes necessarily, but utilizing that concept as a as a as like familiar um, familiar terminology to express a different type of heuristic that's extremely similar but different.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love that. I just want to say one thing and then Ed, I'll let you jump in. Yeah, I just I I really love that because I think that, you know, for for us, one of the things that I try and do a lot is kind of put put a lot of this higher level stuff into my own language. Uh, so, you know, for people who are. You know, are around our age, younger, can kind of it's it's palatable for them, and they can understand it. And and I like I like that you kind of you know use that language and use those concepts to build your
1: own own thing. So that's cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about your journey towards what you're doing now, and it everything seemed like it clicked for you, and all the signs were pointing at the right direction for you to kind of go this way rather than keep working at that cafe or whatever. So it kind of makes me wonder sometimes if there is actually free will or if there is a determined path that we're supposed to go on because I was being interviewed by this other podcast the other day and they asked me a question which made me wonder this exact question. And I told them, I don't even know what I ate for breakfast two weeks ago or what I did two weeks ago or what I did on, you know, May 3rd, it seems like everything was kind of automatic in my day-to-day life. And it still is, you know, like tomorrow I'm going to wake up and probably do the same thing over again, like Groundhog Day, and then work towards some sort of ultimate goal. But along the way, that those processes is, is, is not conscious in a way. It's kind of like automatic. It's kind of like I'm just going with the flow and not thinking everything all the way through i mean when you go to the supermarket or when you take lsd or whatever you do how hard do you really think about it you know what i mean and even when you're thinking about it are you being influenced by your culture or parents or society or you know what your friends told you so i want to get you know kind of you guys take on whether or not there is like a thing as free will or is it determined a lot of people would like to say that oh it's both you know it's like a sexy politically correct answer oh it's both you know because we're swimming in the river and we have so much control in a canoe on the raft but ultimately that river flows to the same ocean. but let's say there's a guy with a gun pointing at your head wanting you to answer either or of course there's not going to be a right answer so you're not going to be shot for this. But what do you guys think, man? Like if there's a gun to your head, a binary answer, free will, or a determined path, what do you guys have to say? I guess um, Mike can go first.
0: Can I, can I defer to James first, actually? Go that's ahead. a big question, man. Ed, that's, you're throwing out the big guns early. Jeez. Okay. Of course,
1: man. Let's
0: get deep. You, you, you know, you've asked me this before. And uh, anyway, but yeah, i will let uh, James uh, take a stab at it.
2: Um, yeah, I, I wonder about this, actually. And, uh, okay, wow. Okay. Uh, I've been thinking about this quote recently and what I'm about to repeat isn't the quote because I keep forgetting how it's actually said. So it's more like a paraphrase. And, um, it's from Steven Jenkinson and something like the crucible of the meaning of your life is in how you wrestle with the way things are. And I personally believe that meaningfulness is something that we that we build that we create that it's not something inherent, although there's an inherent quality to things in the universe that perceived through the human um, perceptual system uh, is received as meaning, so that it's both inherent to the universe but also fully invented as meaning within the human being so uh In thinking about this, I believe that to some degree, there's free will, which is to say, to some degree, we have the autonomous um, capacity or the capacity for an autonomous decision towards how we wrestle with the way things are. But then that decision is only is only the extent to which we can make that decision is is determined by the contextual resources which is the environment that we are in, the people that we're around, we'll say just our diet and habitat, where we are, what's in that environment, and then who's in that environment, and then what we eat, as literally as I mean that, what we eat, what we put into our body, what's in the food shed, what's in the watershed, both nutritionally and antinutritionally and toxically, but also information-wise, like what are we looking at on the internet, what is the Google algorithms you know, directing us to go deeper into on YouTube, and. What are the people around us talking about? How do they respond emotionally to things? What is the implied or or unspoken, unrevealed, unseen, subconscious tendencies of perception within the people around us that influence us? What is in their body language? What is in the quality of touch we receive? All of those things is going to influence what... Um, influence the resources we have towards making that free will choice. And then when you start to unpack that, when you start to unpack, well, it's the food and the water and the people and the body language and the social nuances and the social conditioning. And also there's the reality of my of my early life trauma and then there's intergenerational trauma and intergenerational genetic factors and epigenetic factors. And then there's also, um, you know, all these other things. There's even the factors of like how the, the the bacterial content in my microbiome is directing my my physiological impulses. You know, then we start to think like, is there even such a thing as free will? Because when you start to break it down, it's like, where do you even find the sense of self, let alone the sense of free will? But I. I do believe that there's there's this there's this bandwidth of capacity that's there, but it is determined by our contextual resources.
0: Yeah, I mean, God, it's such a complex question. It's such a hard thing to think about, but a fun thing to think about. And I think you, I think I would probably tend to agree with what you said, James, because it's like I don't want to think that I don't have free will. Like I, I feel like it's kind of almost like a scary thing to say. There's no free will like I'm I'm there's just this path and I'm when we're all just destined to live these, um, you know, these predetermined codes that have been written for us or programmed for us, you know, before our birth. And, you know, I, I don't I don't know, you know, I, th- I but I do think like what you said, and I'll just kind of add on to this is that I think that there's for whatever reason, there's certain people who awaken, awaken to the 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 notion that they they do have a choice, like you stated in the beginning of the show, like that oh we can kind of author our own reality here, you know, and and however you however that happens to you or whoever that happens to you, like why does that happen to you or me or, or Ed or you know other people, um, what why did. Why do certain people get this ability to kind of wake up and dis- and know that they have some sort of a choice in the matter? So I think that I think that that is definitely. Um, I think that's a that's an important part of having an awareness. That awareness that we have this ability to choose. Now, I don't necessarily know if that's free will or not, because I think that from an individual level, I would say that it sounds like free will. It looks like free will, and I think that if we go about our days and we live our lives where we're always making uh, the choices that help benefit us, and then um, you know help benefit the the you know the the greater society that we live in you know i think that's a good thing but i think that if we look at it from like a larger perspective like um you know you 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 mentioned the microbiome it's like do the cells in our body like there's so many of them do they have free will or, or are they just kind of you know i don't i don't know i mean i think they're kind of they're all kind of working to accomplish certain kinds of goals. I mean, there's, there's different parts of the body, they're all sectioned off, but, you know, they're part of this larger organism that is the body, but then they all have their independent roles to play. And I think if you look at like humanity, if you look at life from, you know, a, a step back, you know, you see, you know, the plant world, the animal world, the human world, we're all kind of moving in this general direction, and it and from from that scope it seems like well it doesn't necessarily seem like anybody's really making independent choices however if you zoom in obviously we kind of are so i don't think i'm able to actually answer this question i'm not really capable of of i don't have like the the intellectual ability to really fully grasp this this concept but that's what it seems like to me. I mean, it seems like to me, and and I know Ed, you said that it's politically correct or whatever to say both, but it seems like to me that it really is both. Like from a macro level, there's no free will, <laughs> but from a micro level, there there is. I mean, I think that that got shot,
1: man. Got <laughs> <guy> shot. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> well,
0: but I I I I really like the idea of two uh two th- disparate things, to, you know, I, li- I really like the idea of two things existing a- at the same time. I like the idea of darkness and light coexisting. I like the idea of yes and no to coexisting. And I think that's just a hard concept for any of us to understand, but I think it's totally, it could potentially be true. I don't know. That's, that's my guess.
2: <laughs> so basically what you're saying is your answer to the question is the Tao. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would have to. Uh, uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on the on the Tao, but I think that uh, I think that that would be it. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the Tao is just like the um, the force of um, harmonious paradox and the way things are, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yes.
2: But I'm not a Dallas, so I couldn't say 100%. That's just my interpretation at this moment.
1: Yeah, so yeah. that's very interesting that you say that, Mike, because you being a anarchist that you are, like you don't want any government. You don't want military. Correct me if I'm wrong here, right? You don't want any of those things influencing our lives. But yet there's this human condition of wanting this law and order, wanting chaos and order. We're always trying to achieve this balance between the state of state of complete chaos and a state of complete order. If it's complete chaos, it can't be like that because there's just too much freedom. There's too much chaotic energy. It's just haywire. If there's too much order, you get Adolf Hitler, Nazi Germany, or Karl Marx, or Kim Jong Un, and things like that. Now, with an anarchist system. Wouldn't that kind of go towards the chaotic side and kind of be away from the Dao? You know what I'm trying to say?
0: Yeah, I mean it's there's it's not you know there, there wouldn't necessarily be like a system, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean I'm you know I just I I am very much a big believer in that we we all own ourselves and that we should be free to make our own decisions. So you know, um, yeah. I I I don't really know. <laughs> I I don't know. I I I think that, you know, it's a it's a. I think this is a, one of the biggest questions of all time. You know, I think this is something right. that, that people try and figure out. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot. Like, I I definitely can look at the world and say. Wow, there there is a lot of dumb people out there, and I, you know, I, you know, look look at like our culture, you know, look at like pop culture and and the main what's popular in the mainstream, and it, it's a little disheartening sometimes to see that kind of stuff because you're, you know, we're all out here trying to put out uh, kind of thought provoking material, kind of a little bit of a deeper um, material, trying to you know connect with each other's on on a, on a more intellectual level and. Um I think that sometimes it's it's you know you see these people and you say well you know this is humanity this is what it is so maybe maybe the masses of humanity want this to be this way in some in some way like what would happen if all of a sudden tomorrow all governments on earth disappeared all corporations disappeared all religions disappeared like I don't know like I, that's kind of a weird question, because we all started this stuff anyway,
1: you know, right? So would well, you just find more ways to to start more governments and corporations?
2: I, I think so. or we would just find some other social structures to bring together that would then become our cultural narratives. I think that um, I think that boundaries set us free, and if we were all in anarchy all of a sudden where we wouldn't be free to make our own choices we would only be able to make choices relative to our contextual resources and if we were all in anarchy i mean the fact could you and i even have time to have this conversation if we had to worry about where the food was coming from because we no longer had you know structures in in play that set up reliable food coming to our grocery stores i think that yeah i don't think anarchism creates freedom it creates chaos and chaos gives the illusion of freedom because it's not structured but just because it's not structured doesn't make it free
0: that's interesting um and i i i get what you're saying i think that there's yeah because there the, i used to i think i used to have this philosophy where it was like well if everybody could just understand kind of the basic principle of uh letting every individual have the right to their own uh you know to, to 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 have experiences onto themselves and the right to not be uh, ag- aggressed upon by any kind of outside agency or institution that that would be sort of like near a uto not not I don't, want, I don't want to say the word utopian but a better a better way of organizing society but that's very interesting what you said because it's like you have you have these boundaries then that are set up. So the boundaries kind of act as like a marker to say, Well, do we need more freedom or do we, you know, do we need more of one uh, of a certain kind of thing or less of a certain kind of thing? How do we guide this the society? How do we how do we make sure that everybody is living up to their best ability and their best potential. And everybody is able to have access to healthy foods and healthy options to, uh, you know, get in touch with who they are, you know, and, and, and you know, potentially, through the use of psychedelics, kind of explore the inner depths of their their soul and their psyche. So I I would love to live in, in a place like that. I just don't think that that is available to every person to act to to comprehend that uh, that kind of unwritten rule of the
2: land you know if you will so does does it need to be available to every person to take psychedelics i th- I think that the 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 available
0: i think that the the freedom to choose needs to be available to every person i think i you know i, I I think that that would be a very um yeah I mean that's this, this is a very interesting question because I I have been and I have been thinking about this a lot lately you know I don't necessarily know if um you know if 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 everybody is is ready to handle the, that amount of freedom which is kind of a sad thing for me to say but There definitely needs to be leaders and and people that guide people and and kind of show the way. I just don't think that the systems that we have right now currently set up are, are that way. But having said that, I think that we're at a good transitionary period of time right now. You know, where there is the, we're able to get on podcasts like this. We're able to talk about these things. You know, we're seeing the rise of cryptocurrencies and there's a decentralization of information and it's being spread at at a rapid rate where there's exponential change and innovation happening. But there's also this like dystopian threat, you know, where it's like, whoa, shit could really go the other way. So this is a very interesting time right now. And it's definitely made me think a lot about this um, kind of, Uh, anarchist utopian
2: vision of my youth Hmm.
1: so what do you think about that because you raise the question of should everybody take psychedelics or should everybody have access to them and those are two separate questions what do you think about that issue because there's a lot of people out there psychedelic advocates that want to drop them out of airplanes and things (laughs) like that and you know that's a whole separate issue than just legalization and having the option to choose.
2: What do you think about that? Are you asking me? Yes. Um I think the idea of I think the idea of dosing people without their permission is no better than rape, first and foremost. Uh without their permission or their consent. I think the idea that the world will be fixed if everyone just takes psychedelics is foolish and backwards. And I think some people should not touch psychedelics at all ever, because they can't handle it. And it will only confuse and disrupt them. The very sense of who we are and how well we operate in the world is established on a balance between order and chaos. And the order is our identity, the way we structure the world around us. It's the autonomic perceptions of our reality the stories that tell us who we are and where we've come from and what we're here to do and the chaos is everything else that exists inside of our mind and the sense of self who I am is the is the boundaries between my ordered mind and my chaotic mind and for some people they can they can let the walls down and let the chaos reign restructure walls later and become a more complex yet more coherent sense of self other people won't be able to get those walls back up again and they won't be able to handle what's shown to them in a way that positively influences them their lives it could cause trauma or it can cause confusion there's a lot of people out there in the psychedelic community that i believe are all like i'm not going to determine which one is or isn't but i believe they live a very delusional perception of what's going on and what they're doing in their world. like about think about the kind of people who walk around pretending to be shamans when in reality, they're just charlatans that are taking money and confusing people and manipulating other people with these wide-eyed ideas that maybe they got from too many ketamine experiences, but actually believe that they're like healing the planet by bringing all these people on board. And you know it's I just think it's unreasonable to think that everyone should take psychedelics. However, I do believe that everyone should have the right to choose and to choose to use them however they choose to, if they choose to. Um, But again, going back to that free will choice, why you would choose, what you would choose, how you would choose to, and to what degree, and to to what point is all influenced by how we're educated about them and the cultural environment, the atmosphere of our cultural environment. So... I mean, the reality is like any every single one of us in North America has the choice to take psychedelics if we want to, right? It's not like North Korea where it's actually extremely difficult to make that choice. It's fairly easy to make the choice to take illicit drugs in North America, right? But some of us don't choose to because of the cultural atmosphere, the fact that it's illegal or, or what have you. I do believe that The positive benefits that psychedelics can offer people if more widely offered through some sort of social institution that enables people to do so without stigma could have positive impact on our society as a whole. Um, But not necessarily do I believe that everyone should take psychedelics. And I'm long over the idea that psychedelics are going to save the world um, because psychedelics are not inherently benevolent uh just like any molecule is not inher- inherently benevolent and benevolent or malevolent. Manevo- it's just they just simply are, and it's our relationships to it that determine whether or not they're good and bad, as Dennis McKenna says. So, I don't know if that fully answers your question or addresses it. I mean,
0: I'm satisfied. Mike, what do you yeah. have
2: to say about that?
0: I, I I'm satisfied. I, I I fully agree. I mean, yeah, it's like you know you're playing in the big leagues with this, with this stuff. It's not, it's not, um, you know, I've, I've had my experiences of kind of fooling around and, you know, I remember particularly one that really changed my, my perception of what, what this whole psychedelic business was all about. I had this mushroom experience where I just did way too much and it was in the wrong set and setting. And it was just, you know, the, this message that came through was, you know, I had this, this kind of vision of, of these little, kind of like elfish, irish, uh what leprechaun type guys and they were all like, you know, making fun of me and they are like, "Oh, cuz I was I was I was like really like um I was like, "Man, I really want to have a profound mushroom experience." And and they like ter- it like turned on me and they were like making fun of me like, "Oh, I want to have a profound experience." Oh, like I think I'm so spiritual." Ha ha ha. ha. And then like, I'm like, "Oh, man, like okay, I, I the lesson from this is don't this is don't fool with this stuff. Like don't don't take seven grams of mushrooms in your room and you know don't have like the, 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 the wrong music plan and just all the all the wrong intention is really what it was. You know, it's this I think uh Cho Yong Trumpa, you know, really explains it well with spiritual materialism, this grasping for this knowledge or this thing to kind of you know to possess it and to to have it like oh like i i have achieved something here that i really really wanted but the idea of wanting that thing is incorrect you know it, it, it's kind of a the, the relationship like what you just said james it's more of a balanced kind of relationship and it's not it's not for everybody and but i i do <clears throat> i like um I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones and I, I really like, uh, the mother of dragons, Nereus Targaryen, when she says, she says, I don't want to just stop the wheel. I want to break the wheel. And I really kind of like that because it's like, you know, I, when I look at like our, our human species, our civilization, it's like, we, we are currently in this point where there's just this wheel kind of spinning and, you know, the, you know, kids go to school, they get picked up on these buses and they get shoved into these little brightly lit classrooms and they get told this is the way things are. And there's this whole, like you, you said in the beginning of the show, like there's this whole plan that's like laid out. It's like, well, we could, we could potentially change that plan, you know, with, with the kind of, uh, with more of a consciously infused attitude with more connection to our community and to each other, to something that's a little bit more true, something that's a little bit more healthy, and, and something that's a little bit more connected to the mystery and the wonder of life and, and the planet and the cosmos and those sorts of things. And I think that if we were able to kind of make that happen at a young, and, and develop these kinds of institutions and these kinds of groups that can help guide people to, to these settings, from an early age, that we would definitely live in a more peaceful world, in a in a in a in a better world. I mean, that's I would like to think that, but uh, but yeah, I think which it's it's all it's all about that choice.
2: What's that? Yeah. I, I'm think I said which requires some form of governmental structure to set that up. Some like kind need, of structure. I hear yeah. what you think. Yeah, yeah, we we need a total remapping of our value system. There you go. And we need to raise yeah. our uh, raise our kids better, more well developed. Uh, more well-developed adults with better priorities, or better uh, putting putting higher value on different things, like a higher value on uh, community integrity and honesty, and um, and ecological uh, integrity, rather than money and materialism, for example, or winning at all costs. <laughs>
0: winning, yeah, winning. We win. That's what we do. We win.
2: (laughs) Okay. Can okay, can okay. can (laughs) okay.
1: (laughs) Can you guys still do that now? I mean, technically, you can move to Idaho next month and start your own village and raise some cows, hunt some deers, and basically live like Native Americans did back in the 1800s or 1700s with little contact with the outside world if you own your own land and things like that. I mean, land is relatively cheap there. So can't you do that in this lifetime if you wanted to? I mean, if if you really wanted to go, go out of your way and raise your kids correctly and have your own value system and morality and educational system, you could totally hippie out and move to the forest and just build your own civilization from there, right? I mean... You can technically do that, right? But would you want to, is the question.
2: I think, do you mind if I jump in on this? Sure, yeah. Uh, I think we can, and definitely different communities do. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you go to a place like uh, Nelson, BC, it's an entirely different world than Toronto. The values are totally different. The people are different. The culture is different. What they're achieving as a a municipality is different. Nelson is on the west side of Canada, nestled in the Rocky Mountains. Toronto is really close to New York, for example, just southern southwestern Ontario. Very industrial, very metropolitan. Um, but I also think that this is something else. I'm I'm really trying to think about from the same guy I quoted earlier, Stephen Jenkinson, that it's really narcissistic to think that this life that I have been. Um, this life that I have been offered the opportunity to tend to for a time is all about me. And it's all about my spiritual journey and my spiritual enlightenment and my freedom and this and that. That actually, I feel like we are have been born into some sort of each generation has its own like a cultural spiritual project, collective spiritual project that we're on. And this goes back to one of the first questions about why, why we do what we do, I guess, to some degree. I mean, maybe you guys would agree with me that there's this sense that there's some sort of maybe you wouldn't put it this way, but some sort of larger spiritual project that we're being called to participate in uh, or some larger project that our generation is being called to participate in at this time that is significant to the journey of all of mankind. Because right now we're such a globally interconnected community, whatever we do, whatever gets movement on the internet is going to have an impact on the culture eventually. Like for example, some of the TV commercials that are coming out right now and the advertisements that I'm seeing, some of them are getting super psychedelic. Why are they getting all psychedelic? Because that aesthetic is interesting to people because psychedelics are interesting, right? And if we were to all, like a group of us would go move off into the woods, completely dissociate and disconnect, we might create a really beautiful culture in one or two generations if we can get over all the bullshit that we've been conditioned with that'll cause us to become very difficult to live with and to live together. Yeah, we could create something really beautiful and it would be self-contained and it would be constantly under threat from the encroachment of everything else that we've left that we no longer contribute to the healing of. So I think that it is possible, and to some degree we have to. I mean, like, I need to take care of me, and I need to know that I am in alignment with what I believe, and that I am inspired to do what I do. And at the same time, I have to keep in mind that if it's not, if that isn't in alignment with the truth of our unity and the truth that this is about more than just my stuff, what I want, then uh, I'm doing a disservice to everyone who comes after me. Yeah,
0: Mike. Mike. Ed. Um yeah, yeah. No, I I I like that. And um I'm a big I'm a big fan of of you know, just decentralization and kind of like getting like-minded groups of people together to collaborate on building new things. You know, and I think that that's definitely one thing that the internet has allowed people to do is connect and collaborate and build wildly new and radical things that we could have never conceived of you know years ago so it's it's i see so much potential in the world and potential in people and i think that um a large part of i guess why i do what i do is because i feel like i've experienced suffering at the hands of a society that i was born into in where i feel as if the leaders of the society did not do their responsibility to usher in the next generation of human beings into the truth of existence okay hey welcome children this is the world this is what we're capable of this is what we do instead it's it's a it's a it's not a give mentality it's a take mentality it's getting people sick mm-hmm. so they can get hooked on meds it's you know it's it's this whole i win you lose mentality and so it's so. It is exactly. It's very traumatizing and it leaves people to be lost and feel like they're lot li- they're just some, you know, that there's some nothing in some in some torturous existence that, you know, they go to some shit job they hate. They, you know, have abusive parents or whatever, whatever the case may be, they, they you know, I feel like I can relate to that because I've been there. So if I, if I have learned anything, you know, that, that has helped me, I feel like it's part of my duty to share that with people to, um, you know, I really like what Jordan Peterson says about this, where he says that it's like, you want to live a life where you, at the end of your life, when you die, you can say that something was better because you were alive you know that you were mm-hmm. able to that that i'm whatever for whatever reason i have certain kinds of faculties abilities skills i don't know why but i am who i am so it's it's almost kind of my duty to live up to those things in order to help people who maybe are in a similar position that I used to be in, or can't help themselves, or are suffering to some in some way, and 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 it makes me feel really good when I when I can do that as well. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, maybe I should throw another game of Game of Thrones reference in there <laughs> because the, the 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 why not right? There there was this the the second to last episode they go beyond the wall, and and the guy says to Jon Snow, you know the 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 enemy is death. Uh, the, the enemy always wins, but we still have to fight it because it's like, it's just like, this is what we have to do. You know, we have these temporary lives. We're here for a short period of time. We don't know why. Maybe we could figure out why along the way, and we can help other people who can't, you know, help themselves, and we can cause less suffering in the world than there was before because we were here. So that's, mm. you know, that's something.
2: <laughs> I like I like that. Can I, can I, can I touch on one thing that you said at the end, which is, uh, ideas I've been playing with. I I mentioned him multiple times, Stephen Jenkinson. I'm mentioning him a lot because I'm so deep in this book right now. I I love how you're you're quoting
0: author Stephen Jenkinson. I'm quoting Game of Thrones.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, he, uh, he makes, okay. So a lot of his work is about death and dying. And he basically makes the case that death is a active psychological choice or sort of dying is an act of psychological choice. Uh, And at the time that we cross the threshold of death, we could theoretically not die. We could fight death. We could fight it and fight it and fight it, constantly trying to stay alive, stay alive, stay alive, instead of actively engaging the dying process until we are murdered by our disease. We are murdered by whatever it came in. And so we didn't die in the sense that we didn't go through the process of dying and come to all the things that will come to each of us in the dying process until death. We actually fight and fight and fight to stay alive until we're murdered by disease. And so dying is an active psychological choice. Now, the reason I brought this up is you said the enemy is death and we must fight it. You quoted this guy. I think and I love what the way Jenkinson puts this is that. I think this is this is a poor way of framing it because if we choose to fight death, as soon as we choose to fight death, guess what? We lose. Eventually, we lose. By choosing to fight death, we are choosing to become losers and the completion of our lives to be a battle lost. Now, this is the reframe that, that I liked. And it goes back to that quote I mentioned earlier about meaning, which is that, If instead of choosing to fight death or to fight what's happening, we choose to wrestle with it, which isn't to say we're not submissive, right? But we're not trying to defeat it in the sense that it's like there's a winner and there's a loser and the winner stays alive and the loser dies, that we're trying to wrestle with it, which is more like a dance in a way. And even at the end of a wrestling match, if I was pinned, I could still win for style. Right. And so it's like, I think about, again, the meaning, the crucible of the meaning of your life is and how you wrestle with the way things are. If we're wrestling with what's up, then eventually, you know, we might get taken down by whatever's going on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we've lost. And so we might live our entire lives wrestling with the way things are and ultimately die because we couldn't make the we couldn't make government align their priorities in a way that did something about climate change before hurricanes and droughts and blizzards destroyed us all. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that we lost because at least we we went down with style. If that makes if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that's that totally makes sense. And yeah, I mean, I was thinking of Uh, In the show, you know, they're talking about literally fighting death, like this army of the dead, zombies and stuff. And (laughs) like, and like I was, and, (laughs) and I was, I was kind, I kind of took a, took that to mean almost metaphorically, like, like we have been born into this existence and there is the reality of what is. Now we need to fight or, you know, like I'm air quoting, like, you know, accept the challenges that are presented to us, and continue on the journey. Um, And like you said, I guess I like the word wrestle better, you know, and wrestle with that, um, because that's the thing to do. Because that's what there is to do. That's the only fight there is. That's the the, the only game in town that's, I guess, worthy of uh, of Of a noble existence or something like that, um, which which ra- raises an interesting question that I've been thinking about a lot, and you know i'll get I'll see what you guys have to say about this uh, Ed, you can go first, and then James but i want i want I'm wondering about this this kind of um, how do I want to phrase this I, I I guess almost sort of maybe Buddhist mentality of sort of acceptance. Um, you know, and I'm, and I'm thinking about this in a way of like, there is, there is there, you would have, you would be insane if you were to not accept necessarily not accept the way things are and just constantly live in almost like a denial. But then again, things are kind of fucked up right now. So it's like, you know, let's just say, for example, with like Trump and like, and, and, you know, government and, and this sort of thing. Okay, so it's we can all agree it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up, like the the world situation, you know the government situation and, and stuff like that now is, is, is there's a certain kind of mentality that says, well, look, you know everything is is perfect the way it is, and this is this is the way it is, and we have to kind of just accept that and you know we can't necessarily really do anything about that, so we have to kind of live our lives and just be the best we can and I think I'm okay with that, except for the fact that there is a real kind of threat out there so i think that maybe do like do we have to do we have to stand up against and oppose the threat do we have to really do something like that like um or or is it more about the internal struggle? I guess this is a kind of a, a difference between inter- the internal struggle and the external struggle, struggle. And, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about these, uh, you know, the mythology from, you know, great myths of, you know, the Upanishads and, and the, the Bible and the, and the stories about the Buddha. And he talks about the, you know, slaying the dragon. And it's this inward journey. We have to slay the dragon in our mind, in our in our, you know, inside of us. Is there is there also this outside journey that exists as well, where there is a re, there are real dragons out there in the world? Does that does that make sense, uh, Ed? Does that make sense yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: yeah. What, what do you think? You know what? I have to disagree with you because I do think everything is perfect, man. And I I'm not just talking about like politics or geopolitics or macroeconomics or whatever, but I think it's easy to separate us or these groups into us versus them. And that's kind of the mentality that we have these days. Like, they're doing the wrong things. The left or the right or the government. It's always us versus them. And when we do that, we kind of dehumanize the other side, or we call them names, we call them the enemy. And that's what the Japanese did to the Chinese in World War II. Same with the Germans to the Jews. We kind of categorize them into subhuman categories. And when we do that, we're able to do harsh things to them because they're lower than us. But in reality, they're just human beings just like us. And I feel like majority of people, when they're put in positions of power, the same things are going to happen because they're human beings and these are natural human conditions. And I'm not going to say that I'm not going to do those things because there's a possibility that I'm going to do those things. I think it's totally egotistical of me to say, I'm not going to do those things. I'm a just guy. You know, I'm a, I am stand for the right things and I have more values that are harder than them. As a matter of fact, I do not. You know, I'm the same human being that they are and they're the same human being as us. And so I think it's easy to look at things with a very dualistic viewpoint, but rather I would like to view it as they are just like me. And if I'm in their position that could easily be me as well. And I think that it's easy to point a finger at the government to say, you know, you're wrong or you should have done this and you're fucking me or whatever the case may be. But it's important to kind of just clean your own room as Peter Jordan Peterson said, you just clean your damn room, you know? We gotta start small. We gotta align ourselves with whatever we believe or we hold true in order to change everybody else, because if you look at it from a Eastern philosophy standpoint, you are also the universe. So whatever you work on yourself on the inside, or your room, or your financial situation, or whatever the case may be, if you fix that, then you have the credits to fix the world, or to fix other people. If you can't fix yourself, you have no right to go outside and tell other people what to do. It's like, you know, I get these internet, Keyboard warriors all the time telling me what to do and how to do the podcast or how to run my Instagram or things like that. But do you have a podcast? That's my first question. Because if you don't, you have no clue what's going on in here. So I'm not going to go out there and tell other people what to do. Of course, there are obvious things that you should say when evil has been done or whatever the case may be. But a lot of people aren't working on themselves. And if you start working on yourself, start working on the internal. Or just your room and work from there. If everybody does that, then we don't you wouldn't have to fix other people because everybody would be fixing themselves. you know what I mean? And I feel like it's just very important for people to realize that because a lot of people don't have that mentality. They want to blame things on other people because that's an easy option. You know, oh, it's the government's fault, or it's my teacher's fault, or it's the cop's fault for give me that ticket but you know it's you can't blame everything on other people sometimes you gotta look at things with a macro point of view and look yourself in the third person and see where you fucked up and i do feel like the world is perfect in it's to a certain extent because as i said earlier we're always trying to balance the chaos and order um kind of this balance i don't know what you call it just i guess this table or whatever you know like we're always trying to do that and as long as we're trying to do that if there is a struggle towards order or a struggle towards chaos then i feel like that is perfect because there is no utopia it's a struggle towards the utopia that is the perfection and a lot of people don't realize that because they think that there could actually be utopia done. They think that if they're the ones that are in power, they could fix the world because they don't have the values of Hitler or if they're in power, they would be the just one, not just with Karl Marx or you know, all of these leaders that try to to have this utopian view, like Mao. But they don't realize that if they're put in that same position, they could just be like just be like them. You know, they could murder a bunch of people for their values to justify what they believe in and i feel like if we're all if we're in the struggle towards utopia that is already utopia like the real utopia is is not utopia because once you get into utopia there's always somebody that's going to fuck it up or wanting to fuck it up or wanting to create chaos because that's just not the human condition i feel like people that don't understand that really don't understand how we behave as human beings because at the end of the day we're human beings with a set of values a set of conditions that we are limited and bounded to and if you think outside of those bounds really really bad things happen so that's what I think man I think everything it's already perfect it's just you gotta know where to look man you know if you look in the media turn on CNN Fox News whatever of course your world is going to be bad dude i mean that's not a not a hard thing to to tell anybody you know but if you actually look at your life or the relationships that you have or the good knowledge that's coming into your computer or your iphone or whatever and you cherish those things you're going to have a great life you know you're going to live a happy day so it's just your mentality that makes the whole total difference i feel like at the end of the day
2: um so i it's my turn is it my turn (laughs) yes (laughs) Uh, i actually and i agree with a lot of what you said there i'm i'm at odds with a couple of it um but in the second part you kind of had two parts there was like the acceptance and um personal work and then there was resistance and struggle and the second part coming in i was like oh yeah okay so there we are uh but there was like, felt like a bit of a disconnect. And in me, what I hear is like, yeah, everything is perfect. Everything is like, what is that? Um, I think it's, it might be Trungpa saying that like, everything is basically good because it is. And so it has basic goodness. And I also believe that a lot of the issues that we're facing in this world, we wouldn't be facing if people took more time to clean their rooms to heal and work with themselves uh and i think that it's actually quite irresponsible i like i'll I'll use another jordan peterson quote since you guys both brought him up uh that you have a bunch of young naive and self-righteous ideologues pushing for a social agenda without having any actual self-knowledge of who they are and why they care about what they care about from like a deep place of. from a deep place of like what traumas inform them and how much their trauma informs how they show up in the world. And so, yeah, I believe that there's a lot of good work that needs to be done on the inside. I also believe that there are different realms of the human psyche. i like to call them, I got this from uh, Robert Augustus masters, and I like to call it the three arenas of the self or the three arenas of personal development. And one of them is this personal place of like taking care of oneself, keeping your room clean. And then the other one is the interpersonal. And that's how we show up to the people around us, our relationship to each other, to society, to the community, to our civilization as a whole. And then the last one is transpersonal, which is like our relationship to say spirit or the divine or God or whatever. But all of these need to develop in order, or not in order, in um in harmony with each other. And when one becomes overdeveloped, the other one becomes underdeveloped and undercuts the development of the self. So if we have a lot of people that are like, if everyone's just working on themselves but nobody's engaging in the community in a way that addresses at struggles against the way things are because if we all start doing our personal work that's great it's not going to stop the systems that are currently in power that are just like a freight train headed towards a cliff right that's not going to stop that if we're all just working on ourselves we need to take action towards um, towards what we want to see and when just like I think about as well spiritual bypassing and a lot of the times I think um spiritual traditions that are that are in the philosophies that are established for for monasticism they're established for people to go off and completely dissociate from society completely dissociate from everything and just be on their like independent spiritual dissociation path can be used to bypass from the responsibilities of being alive in a community and in a society and so the idea of like surrender an acceptance to what is because it is and it's perfect this only goes so far because at a certain point we have to resist at a certain point we have to say no i don't want martial law and if i can employ whatever powers i have to stop that i'm going to maybe it's voting we i don't know i don't know what the setup is in hong kong but in canada we have the illusion of a democracy in the united states we have the illusion of democracy, you know, but it's, it's, it's something, it's something, I think it's kind of an opiate for the masses, but that's a different, that's a different point. But at some point I need to resist. I could take the path where someone approaches me on the street and they want my wallet, they want to beat me up, you know, they want to, whatever, they want to move beyond my consent, they want to assault me. And I could, I could totally take the acceptance route and say like, sure, here's my wallet, here's this, here's that. And if someone tried to mug me and ask for my wallet, I'd give them my wallet, obviously. But if they wanted to beat me up, at some point, I would resist. At some point, I would say, no. No, you're not. No, you can't. No, I won't. And I think that's important. And then these spiritual practices that are based in monasticism can be employed to evade the responsibility of taking action to resist. Now, I'm I'm not for... Uh, I mean, let's make this clear to 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 and the NSA who are, you know, watching everything that we do, that I'm not advocating for like mass resistance or like violent arms or anything. But at some point if it becomes abundantly obvious to you that you don't believe in something and you don't want it to happen in your community, in your space, in your world, then you have to do something about it. No amount of sitting in your room and like praying for the capacity to accept to surrender and then hoping for a better world is going to do a goddamn thing really i think that's that's naive thinking there needs to be action however how we show up to that action what actions that we take and the effectiveness of those actions towards achieving our desired outcome will be determined by how well we know ourselves and thus how well we can interact under a state of threat under a state of resistance in that space because we might end up just making the problems worse like 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 you were saying, Ed, you know, like we've got basically this whole like, well, you had mentioned this, I'm going to take it to my own place. We have this regressive left movement that's calling everyone Nazis if they don't agree with their extremely limited, narrow minded uh, ideas of how we're supposed to live our lives and how we're supposed to speak and show up to the world. And then you've got this extreme right side. That are basically saying that if they can't act out violently and prejudicially and ignorantly, that their freedom of speech is being imposed, and they're just battling against each other. The left, if they take over, they're just going to ostracize. You know, like it's okay to beat up someone who has ideas that differ from you because those ideas are kind of similar to what the Nazis did, and look at what the Nazis have done you know, we got to beat up the Nazis, like they're just going to violently encroach on other people's rights as well. So if you don't have that inner self-awareness of balance, acceptance, understanding, compassion, you're not going to be able to resist in a way that actually creates a better life for everyone, or at least creates the better world that I think we're talking about wanting um, societally, and not create a struggle or a wrestling that brings us into this relative state of utopia that, that you were talking about. That's a very good point. Mike, what do you think about that?
0: Excellent. Yeah. I mean, totally. I I agree. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there, it's definitely something that I've been thinking about a lot because it's like, you know, you, you have, it's, it's really, just really interesting when you have an idea or you're part of a group that holds a specific sort of ideas And you're so sure of yourself and you're so sure of the mission that you are correct and that you will have, you know, that you, you, you're have, you have the moral superiority, you know, it's, and I, and I always see, it's just, it's so clear on the internet that we live in this, you know, everybody, I tweeted this thing out the other day. I was like, it's so hard to have a conversation or a healthy debate with anybody when everyone is living in different realities. You know it's like we 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 all now have the capacity to tune our frequency into whatever sort of thing that we're interested in there's so many uh, niche groups and activities and interests and communities that can be found and that people can join and the you know the ability to to everybody wants to have a some sort of meaning and purpose in their life. everybody wants to be a part of something you know and I think that Sometimes we can get blinded when we're in these groups. You know, you mentioned like the regressive left where they call everybody Nazis. And it's like, I can see how being on that side, you could think that I'm on the righteous side of things. Because I am opposing the evil in the world. And, um, you know, but I think that uh, it definitely births its opposite extreme. To, to counteract that, you know, whichever, you know, these these extremes are very similar, the, the left and the right. They're very similar in that they so f- passionately believe in their thing as the thing. And, um, you know, I just don't think there is any one the thing. I think that we, I would like to see people kind of strive to accept that there is a diversity of things and that we can respect each other with our different ways of, of existing and, and, you know, potentially coexisting. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I was the, the one that initially kind of posed the question of like what, what we can do. And I think that, you know, definitely improving ourselves is one thing, but I think getting together, um, finding the others and, and creating the world that we want to see and saying, you know, saying no, just say no. <laughs> just say no to, mm-hmm. you know, to anybody that wants to, uh, you know, take away the goodness of, of the world and, and of humanity and suck our souls from us, you know, whether it be, you know, any, any I, I you know, and I think a, a lot of it has to do with these, these institutions that we create, you know, and, and it gets back to this kind of chaos order thing. It's like, we want to have order. We don't want. We don't want to have too much order. We don't want to have too much chaos. We want to have that kind of in between. Although it's like our humanity. We build these institutions. We build this framework and these systems that wind up becoming bigger than the individual, and then we wind up serving them rather than them serving us. You know, in this in in the way that we have intended them to be. I I, I kind of equated to this like you know, humanity is kind of plagued with this Frankenstein monster kind of thing where it's like, we have these amazing minds where we can invent things and we can do magical, wonderful things with science and, and all this stuff. We can really build tremendous structure, <laughs> tremendous structures. What did I, uh, uh, not tremendous structures. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can build these these great things. But what happens is we wind up, assuming the collective mind of the group of the institution, and then the institution becomes larger than the people. And I think that, that, that that's a real problem. And this happens with ideas as well, the, the ideologies of the left and the ideologies of the right. They become so attached to these concepts that are bigger than, than, than the kind of real purpose that they should be serving to better the individual and to better the society and to better the species.
1: I think it's also beautiful to have the extreme left and also the extreme right. You can kind of see them going to battle and you're not part of the fight. It's beautiful to see, man, because they're all fighting for their cause and their side and somehow they reach some kind of equilibrium. And if you're a normal person by any stretch of the imagination and you look at either side, you're not going to align yourself with either side and you're going to put yourself in the center of those things. And it kind of wakes people up to the fact that, hey, I'm not extreme left, I'm not calling people Nazis, they're crazy, or I'm not a KKK member, I'm not extreme right. So it kind of puts you into this reality check where you know where you stand. Instead of having some Kim Jong-un agenda where there is no extreme left or extreme right, there is just extreme Kim Jong-un and that's all you're gonna get is monotone. I think it's beautiful to have different symphonies playing together Because you're going to have these conflicts to make a solution. If you have one tone, like Adolf Hitler or Kim Jong-un or Karl Marx, that's all you're going to get. But right now, we have this quasi-democracy, if you want to call it that, that produces these different voices. And as long as these different voices have a place to speak... And you have the mind, you have the freedom to determine what's good or what's, what's wrong and what's right for you. I think that's beautiful. I don't think you should force any ideology onto anybody, just like you shouldn't force feed psychedelics onto any person, period. And with religion, with politics, with different philosophies, you should have the right to choose. It's all determined on who you are as a personality. I think going back to the question before, with whether an action or non-action it all determines on who you are and what your personality is and that goes back to whether you have free will or not but let's look at rosa parks let's look at martin luther king let's look at malcolm x let's look at different political or social activists and how they conducted themselves either with action or non-action look or gandhi they all achieved the same goal or was trying to achieve the same goal but they all did it in their own different ways. So I don't think for people that are wondering, okay, well, you guys had some great points, but what should I do? Should I do action? Should I resist? Should I not do anything? What should I do? Well, that determines on who you are and how you were raised and what you believe and what you find the most comfortable because everybody's going to be different. You tell me to do nothing when somebody's beating me up, I'm going to tell you you're crazy. But there's somebody Mm -hmm. out there that's going to, like that idea, you know, there's some pacifists out there that's really not going to strike back. And that might be Gandhi, you know, and look where Gan- what Gandhi did. So it really determines what, you, what what you do is really determined by who you are, I think. And also, I feel like having these different ideologies to pick from within a certain country, it's a beautiful thing, man, because in other countries, you don't get that. In my country, you don't get that. So you guys might be think, thinking, oh, wow, like it's so corrupt, they're so crazy, it's so chaotic, with the left, the right, the middle, libertarian, democrat, republican, the Green Party, and whatever they have in Canada. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> <it was, laughs> too much like, things going like on, that. you know? It's like, what what should I do? Well, you know what, man? In China, there's only one. So you don't get that much options. You get one. So it's beautiful to have that many choices. But you got to educate yourself. You got to know what you want. You got to know who you are. And that's where the internal work comes in. And once you get the internal work done, then you can go out there into the real world and really make a change, make a difference, and to speak your mind and to stand up for what you believe in and things like that. But a lot of people are complaining about, I shouldn't say complaining, but are worried about the, these conflicts, like civil war and things like that. But it is these conversations that make your country stronger and to really know what you guys really want, and I feel like the better ideas will ultimately emerge on top. Obviously, that doesn't happen all the time through our history, but I'm optimistic.
2: Yeah I, I think if you zoom out no. I was going to say if you zoom out, possibly goodness comes uh, but i i I don't think the extreme dialogues are good, just like I don't think extreme weather systems are good, right? Because it's like, it, we have extreme weather systems here in North America, massive highs and massive lows that are in massive conflict with each other that's creating droughts and wildfires on the West and repeated hurricanes uh, on the East. Like extremes, I don't think actually produce good dialogue. And even our dialogue here, this is great. We're finding others, we're talking, but it's like, there's no inclusion from you know people who might not agree with our ideas and we're not talking with them this is like although i agree with you guys in some places and i disagree with you in other places i'm probably sure the same um on your end towards me and we could have respectful dialogue about it we're all still sort of ultimately inside of the same pocket and uh yeah and i also i agree ed with what you said there about um what to do is determined by who you are and i thought about the the quote of like know thyself. And it's like, know thyself, and you'll know what to do when the time comes. And it might not be comfortable, but it'll feel right. Um, and yeah, I think there is a time to resist because we need to, if we're not careful, the people who get the most traction, the people who the establish systems of control determine will have the most social traction will be the ones that will influence the the legal and political infrastructure that will later continue to determine exactly what conversations we're having and how we're having them and how we get to live. So at some point, we have to like, like, yeah. I guess I'm saying again, resist and include ourselves in the conversation rather than just um, sitting in the middle. But I, I really do appreciate that you brought in this uh, perspective of what it's like to live in China because I don't know what that's like at all. I've never lived there, and it definitely. It it changes the way we see, we see the world. I'm extremely privileged to be sitting here and be like, yeah, I can complain about the government and I can like vote. I have all these different options and there's all these different like municipal changes that are going on. I have all this different like quasi democratic option to engage in uh, to even have these conversations.
1: But let's take a look at what we call extremes, right? Because we call extremes left. Meaning they are super socialist, they are really postmodernist, and we call the extreme right the racist or KKK. But 50 years ago, 100 years ago, these were the norm for right. Russia or in Germany or in the South in America. And fast forward to 2017, we call these extremist ideas. So really, we have come a long way since those times. And Thank you, yeah. I think that's a great point that nobody's talking about because people say this is the worst time to live, the worst time to be, this is the most chaotic time we've we ever witnessed. And I call it bullshit. That's not true because 50 years ago, we were really living in those times. People were really largely racist in southern states and socialist states were really postmodernist, and they were forcing people to wear the same clothes and have the same haircut and have the same meals and they destroyed language, they burned books. But now we call these really extremist ideas and we frown upon those things. And that that shows how far we've come. And I don't think that this is just relevant in our bubble. I think if you go outside and talk to a normal normal person today, they would agree with you as well. You know, I think this is the mainstream that we're in now. I mean, Donald Trump didn't um, disavow the white nationalists fast enough. And we are so mad at him about that. But... I mean, 50 years ago, FDR was imprisoning Japanese people in imprisonment camps, you know? So we've really come a long way. And I think as a collective, we're slowly but surely moving more and more towards the, I guess, better side. But we're so stuck within this microcosm that we're not able to see it. And the news wants to focus on the Charlottesville thing or they want to focus on Antifa. And that's what is kind of operating our psyche and dominating our whole thought process. But if we really zoom out and look at it from a macro, macro perspective, it's actually improving. It might not be improving at the rate that we want it to be, but it is making improvements. And you know I'm pretty optimistic about that.
2: Mm-hmm. was it like violent crime is at it's all-time low
1: right
0: That's yeah true. you're you're less likely to be murdered by another individual than any other time in history so that we we are living in in good times and peaceful times i think um yeah it's it's it's, it's interesting because like we have as as we grow and you know Experience what we we get to see windows into other people's lives, like you, you know Ed in in Hong Kong, and like our kind of our consciousness, our this collective consciousness is experiencing itself. You know, having these subjective experiences through us, and we are then knowing ourselves, so to speak, through connecting with others and seeing what. Their lives are like, and their culture is like, and their language is like, and and you know the way the 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 norms and the rules and the traditions and all those sorts of things. And so there's this massive, I think, kind of you know awakening that's slowly happening because we are really knowing each other. We're knowing it, and along with that, there's going to be fighting. There's going to be squabbling. The the old ways of doing things are are shedding, and it's uncomfortable. You know, it's almost like a collective trip. You know that we're having, and we're in a little bit of a challenging period where we're we're going through some rocky points here and there. But I think ultimately it's for the good. It's for the better. Um, and I think what you were talking about, Ed, with these extremes, you know, I, I I understand where you're coming from, and that's that's actually something. It's called the the Overton window, where it's like you kind of need these extremes on both ends, so so that you can have more people come towards the middle because they know where the extremes lie. You know, and I like to. I like to think of that in like comic book terms of like, you know, there's Batman and then there's like the Joker, you know, it's like you have, you have some guy who just like dresses like a bat and goes out and fights crime at night, which is crazy. But then even crazier is this guy that wears, you know, makeup and murders people. It's like you have these extremes. It's like, all right, well, it's this kind of extreme escalation, one side versus another. And, and, and and then what, what comes of that is maybe something more Bring it towards the middle, so I understand that perspective um, and I think what's interesting about this conversation right now is that you know we're talking about kind of infusing our ideas into the public sphere more the our ideas gaining more acceptance, and you know the the work that we all do here to try and make that happen. but I wonder, is the, it are we ready for someone from our world, from our our psychedelic world or uh, from the world of mindfulness, practice, spirituality, like, to enter the political framework? You know, maybe, is that something that we need to kind of communicate our message to a larger audience? You know, I, I look at, um, you know, kind of tribal uh, societies of the past where they they had sort of a, a chief or a leader, and it wasn't really this kind of authoritarian political structure. It was more of kind of a, someone who was a a guider, someone that would be like a wise old elder, so to speak, something like that. And I see that there's this, there's like a separation, right? It's like, here's politics over here. This is, you know, we're talking, and what is politics other than just how to organize society, how to take care of people, that sort of thing? So you have that, well, I mean, it's, it's supposed to be that, but it's, you know, people getting ripped off, lining their pockets with, you know, big money, taking advantage of people, that sort of thing. So it's it's supposed to be this thing. So, Why? Why isn't there a merging of this kind of world that we inhabit in the the kind of the a conscious leader, a conscious politician, a conscious? It's the Pope, man. It's the Catholic Church. You described it perfectly. Mm, I don't think so. (laughs) I that's still, but see, that's another thing, right? It's like because you have there's this separation. It's like okay, well, you have your religion over there, and that's good, all good and well. You know, we'll 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 give the Pope lip service, but we're not going to abide by the rules of Catholicism. the The government sure sure doesn't do that; it just pays them lip service. Oh, the you know the the Dalai Lama, yeah, we'll we'll pay them lip service as well. So it's kind of like they, there's these, these they're pushed over. There's no integration integration into the the larger mass because I mean right now I would say that like the the culture of fear and it is being p- pushed out by the media and by the politicians and i think that they're like really kind of grasping at straws because they're trying to do whatever they can to remain in power to remain the 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 authorities that people look to to have the answers but they don't have them they fail over and over again the 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 you know there's the, the pollution and all this kind of stuff the just everything is is wrong and so it seems to me like Maybe we need somebody to enter into the that arena. To and I don't know if we're necessarily ready to handle that though. Could we handle a polit- a, pe- a person who is running for office up at a podium talking about kind of the things that we're talking about now? You know, having these kinds of discussions, like or the James, like the things that you write about. Could you could you see that happening in our lifetime? Do you think?
2: It's difficult to say because sometimes I feel like getting into the systems of power as they are, are almost um, counterintuitive to this type of conversation in a way, because in order to affect any real change, you need to have a greater understanding of societal infrastructure as it is. But it's such a massive subject that in order to learn enough about it to become an effective leader at that level of power and control, you have to over invest in understanding of the system and under invest in the type of understanding that we believe would be important to crafting good counsel as a leader. So I think the very idea of having, looking for one person to like take charge, although it, I mean, it, it exists, right? Like you've got the one per, like Ed, you mentioned, uh, Malcolm X and, um, no, did you mention Malcolm X? And Martin Luther King? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so... Um, anyways, yeah, we have these, like, figureheads that can really pull things together, but uh, to actually become a political leader in the system in charge as it is, I, I don't know. And whether or not those leaders will have the voting boxes falsified in order to make sure they don't run the... You know, win the democla- democratic leadership or whatever it might be, then who knows? So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we... I'd like to think that we're ready for for a truly positive movement um politically it looks like it but at the same time I'm a little I'm a little disheartened when it comes to that man I'm I'm pretty sure like every person that i thought maybe we could believe in was either ousted by the criminal behavior of those who benefit from being from staying in charge or has turned out to be um Shrill in some way he turned out to be completely full of shit, you know, like, oh yeah, Obama's gonna change things. He was full of shit. He did he was worse. He was worse than Bush. You know, because like we actually trusted that he knew what he was that he was a good guy, so we didn't criticize him as much. He got away with even more shit. Justin Trudeau, it's like, okay, we don't want Stephen Harper anymore. Let's get Trudeau and Like he's gonna he's gonna help us. He's a he's a asshole. <laughs> he's not helping <laughs> us really, you know. He's just like uh he's just doing lip service to the media. He's like and he's a handsome bastard, like, though. He is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, I wouldn't kick him out of bed for bad breath or whatever. But like, he, I, yeah, it, I, I'm just not sure I can I can trust in anyone anymore that might come up with power, even if they appear to have my values on the surface.
0: Like, for example, like, so right. Like, for example, if Dennis McKenna decided like, OK, I'm going to run for political office, you know. Would the would would the world be ready for his sort of wisdom and leadership? I don't know. I just threw him out there. He just came I'm to the not, top of my
1: head. I'm not to tell you the truth. I'm not because just because we we listen to those people in podcasts or speeches doesn't mean they know how to run three hundred million people or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't translate to that. their to
2: social that. values will align with ours, right?
1: right? Like, and you know, obviously we have. A lot of issues that we have to fix and solve. And, you know, Dennis, he's a really intellectual person, but does he have that capacity to handle all the monsters in the swamp in DC? Does he have the mental energy to stay up all night and to run the country and to tackle the problems of nuclear arms with North Korea? I really doubt that. And, you know, Sitting here talking to you guys, we all have disagreements with each other, but we're mostly aligned with our ideologies. And with Dennis McKenna, that's the same. You know, I listen to him on podcasts and he has a lot of radical ideas that I would disagree on. And I'm just not sure if, you know, people like that are capable of running a country. I mean, just because you have. Well, hold hold on one second. Doesn't mean that. You yeah. can' run a country right yeah no, I
0: just want to interrupt you one second, Ed, because I want to just make it clear it's like what i'm what I'm suggesting more is of the 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 level of attention that someone would get for running for political office like right now it seems that politics is so in everybody's face, you know everybody's paying attention to it now. it just seems like you know ever since the election and everybody's really it's 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 popular so what I'm saying is that Would it be of value to have somebody enter that sphere and kind of run, maybe not win, but just have that as
1: like a bully pulpit? Publicity just to get the message out there, just to kind of maybe... I think you had that, right? With like Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul and things like that. Sure. I mean, look where they yeah. turned out, right? Yeah,
2: sure. Well, we have it here in Canada with uh, the leader of the Green Party, Elizabeth May, but the Green Party never gets enough seats because the media plays them down as just being like... There you go, yeah. ...the hippie party or whatever. I would, I think... And I've actually had on, on one of my shows a guy named Sebastian Job uh, out of Australia, and we talked about the importance of political leaders coming in to do counsel with entheogens, uh, with psychedelics of some sort. And I would be pretty interested to see an actual, somebody of actual spiritual maturity, holding space for political leaders to journey psychedelics together. I, as much as I am not always in alignment with, with Mr. Graham Hancock and, and his views in the world, I do like his idea that our politicians should should have an entheogenic experience. I don't think it should be ayahuasca, but I'm not like a member of the ayahuasca religion or the ayahuasca cults, which it seems like certain big name speakers are. I'm not, I'm not in that. And that's, I respect it. It's a beautiful medicine. I have no negative, no negative views of anyone who's, who's involved in that religion. But, um, but, but at the same time, it's like not necessarily ayahuasca, but any number of, of, um, spiritually meaningful entheogenic experiences held as a community with the intention being not only personal work but to explore and better understand challenges that are emerging um, challenges that are emerging in political office
1: Yeah, i think that's an interesting idea but i also think that there's a lot of people that are psychonauts but are just kind of all over their place. You know what I mean? Like they're the last people that you want to be running for office. So
2: I'm talking political people, like very established, very educated, like career politicians also being holding, having space held for them by someone who's an experienced guide or for lack of better terminology, shaman. Yeah, that, that would be that's cool. Like, uh, like idea
0: hey, we right. have this option available for you. You know, it's maybe a rite of initiation into public office. Like, you you know, you can't really lead unless you kind of go on a journey of self-discovery or something like that. And, you know, hold, we'll hold a space for some kind of ceremony or psychedelic use or breath work or whatever it is. But some cor- some sort of something like that to happen. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 right. I, I like definitely it, like that. Justin
2: Trudeau. Yeah, like if Justin Trudeau actually respects the indigenous culture and wants to pay them appropriate reverence for their role here, I'd like to see him go on a four day spirit quest. Let's, <laughs> let's, yeah, I'd love to see you go without food or water for four days. Yeah. And then I'd love to see you in a sweat lodge. If, if you respect it, why don't you have the elders invite you into a sweat lodge? Earn your place in that community and let it influence you. You know?
0: I love it. Yeah. Also,
2: guys. Uh, getting a little tight on time here for me. I don't know if you have any way that you'd like to wrap up or yeah, any last things that you want to put. In I was
0: right. I was just about to say, uh, we're heading on almost two hours which is, is is very long and I appreciate the time that you you spent with us James. I think it's been a pretty fascinating conversation. Um, yeah I, let's just let's just wrap up by just talking a little bit about what you have going on. I mean uh, you know you're doing the podcast you have these books out you know you're speaking uh, have anything coming up anything you like to plug or just kind of talk about some things that you're getting into now?
2: For sure. I just want to quick point out that I feel very aware that, Ed, you were about to say something at the end there. I'm sorry that your final thoughts on that were cut off. Uh, Yeah, so right now I I am running the – I have three primary things that I'm working with online. I've got writing, I've got videos, YouTube videos, and podcasts, uh, which are also on YouTube, and uh, I want to continue to do that, basically. Mm Sorry, that's just—it's such a huge shift of gears right now. I'm like, whoa! How do I go into like <laughs> promo brain all of a sudden from this like deep political philosophical discussion? Um, yeah, everything that you might find from me for your listeners out there is at jameswjesso.com. The website's called Adventures to the Mind, and it's a catalog of all of this work. In fact, this interview will be on that website as one of the posts, uh, and you can connect with me there or on social media, which is uh, everything. At James W Gesso and for this next uh, year or so I'm about to take on a very big uh, thing in my life which is to basically live in a single-bedroom apartment (laughs) and working towards funding my basically becoming a full-time creator online rather than uh, having to like I am currently living at my parents house to afford it and build money or to sacrifice a lot of my time and my skill set on working some entry level job somewhere so that I can have this little responsibility so I can put all my effort and mindset into this work. Uh, yeah, and that's that's a big thing. And in that, I'm gonna be writing more. I've got lots of essays coming up, videos, podcasts, and two new books that will be in the making once I feel like I get to myself to a point in my writing where it's like time. And uh, one of them is going to be about my experiences with ayahuasca, and the other one's going to be about my experience of living a polyamorous lifestyle in the festival culture.
0: Oh, wow. That sounds super interesting. Wow, that's 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 great. wow dude? That is amazing. So you have that's two new books. You're you're, you're like a, a really serious, accomplished author. You'll have five total books pretty soon. That's, I just I have so much respect for anybody that writes because, um, I I it's so hard for me to organize my thoughts. That's why I do podcasting. I just rant and kind of everything's disjointed and it's a mess. But James. Yeah, you got a tremendous amount of things going on. It's it's so cool that you're doing that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to those. That sounds really interesting. Where can people go to support you? I think you mentioned that you have a Patreon. Um, talk a little bit about that. How do you set that up and and where can people go to, to support you?
2: For sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I like to feel like I'm accomplished. But I also recognize that my ability to accomplish these things especially given since what I talk about is so niche and so nuanced there isn't a lot of like centralized funding for what I do as a member of the underground there isn't even arts grants for me because I'm not officially published by a larger publishing company and stuff so I really deeply rely on the voluntary support of the people who enjoy my work and creating this decentralized grassroots funding for what they want to see in the world which is hopefully Um, in alignment with what i want and i do this through patreon which enables me to have direct relationship with those people who enjoy my work so i can be in communion with them and we can you know together we can together build something beautiful that impacts the world in a positive way so jameswgesso.com forward slash support uh you can find that or just search James gesso on patreon which is uh the primary platform in which i am funding this whole big project
0: Awesome. Ed, anything else?
1: That's it, man. Um, thank you, Jess, uh, James. That was amazing. And uh, it was great, really cool to get your perspective on a lot of things that me and Mike usually talk about. And uh, yeah, it was great to have you on. And I'm sure this won't be the last time. So thank you. And uh, nice, it was great to meet you.
2: Yeah, thank you, and and uh, Mike, really appreciate being on the show. It uh, it was uh, it was juicy. <laughs> it was really juicy. Yeah,
0: man. Uh, yeah. Likewise, it, it was great talking to you. Uh, you, know, uh, I feel like, uh, I, you know, I feel like I, you know, it's it's so rare that you're able to just jump into these kinds of conversations. You know, and I would just say also, you know, James, you mentioned that you know in the beginning you kind of talked a little bit about your story, but there's other podcasts that you can go and find and listen to James's story. You know, you can read the stuff on his website. So go find. Now, because, uh, you know, you're, you're a tremendously interesting dude and, and you have some wonderful, uh, wonderfully intelligent things to say. And, and, and it was a pleasure having you on. So, uh, let's do it again sometime in the future.
2: Sounds great, Mike. Ed, thank you guys very much.
0: Thank you. Peace out, brother. Peace. <laughs> and cut.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mikebrank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you can go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace.